and uh, a great warm welcome to another Motorsport Magazine podcast. On a difficult day, uh, having just heard the news about uh, Justin Wilson after that uh, horrible accident in IndyCar in the United States. A sad morning, and uh, two of our people here at Motorsport Magazine, our editor, Damien Smith, and uh, Simon Aaron, knew Justin well. Simon, um, I mean, it's always going to be a part of motor racing, but it's such a shock, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible shock. I first interviewed Justin when he was racing in Palmer Audi on his way to the championship in 1998. Uh, the prize for that, of course, was a fully sponsored Formula 3000 drive, and that uh, launched his international career. Um, he, I mean, it's, you hear lots of platitudes at times like this, but he really was a lovely, lovely bloke, down to earth, uh, very warm-hearted, easy to deal with, just a, a, a pleasure to deal with. And um, I mean, he went over to the States in 2004 after his single season in Formula One. And over the next 11, 12 years, I've always kept in touch with him. I last email exchange with him just a few weeks ago, talking about his Andretti seat and his hopes with Andretti for 2016, something sadly we shall now never see. But his, um, he was a great, great racer, made very few mistakes. And uh, because he spent so much of his time in relatively back of the grid, teams in champ cars. I mean, his, his, his CV doesn't really reflect how good he was, but, you know, the fact he scored race wins with Dale Corn Race, Racing, you know, lovely team, but perennial back marker, and he managed to get two race wins with them. That, that, that's, that's a mark of, of how good he was, and um, the re- reaction on social media from all his uh, peers, <coughs> his rivals, other team managers and stuff, he was held in huge, huge respect by them as well as by Damien and I. Thank you, Simon. A, these days are difficult in our sport, aren't they, Damien? They are really difficult. And I think, you know, in, in the case of someone like Justin with this particular incident, it's um, it's when it's not... He, he didn't have an accident. You know, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and caught by a piece of debris off another car. It's That's quite hard to accept. Um, but this is single-seater racing. This is... IndyCars is extremely dangerous. You know, they've done so much to improve the the car safety and the circuit safety over years, but when you've got a, a single-seater open cockpit, this is um, this is the danger that um, uh, everyone knows exists, including all the drivers. They they go into it, you know, knowing, knowing full well this is the sort of risk they take. And Justin, for me, uh, like Simon, I've known him a, a long time. I was covering that Palm Rowdy series that year and um, was at Alton for his the first race, which he dominated. And and that year was a really talented crop of young drivers actually mm. that they get were, were, were pulled in by the the palmer charm and yeah. by the the, the, yeah. the great prize at the end of it was that 3000 yeah. uh, drive and um jo- uh, justin was undoubtedly the best over the sort of course of the season he, he he really was um you know head and shoulders which says a lot about justin being the, the tall bloke he was you know he was he-, he was always head and shoulders above everyone but um um uh some good good memories of him um, through the 3,000 years as well, when he was, um, I think the the championship year was a lovely surprise because I don't think any of us really expected um, him to put a championship challenge together. He'd been really good up to that point, but to actually string a, a consistent season together, which was always the tough thing in 3,000, with a team that hadn't won a championship before, um, was 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 lovely. And particularly because um, you know Mark Webber 
was kind of expected to win that championship with Supernova. And Weber, he, you know, today would put his hands up and say, yeah, I was beaten fair and square by, by the better man over the season. Um, and one of the uh, things we were talking about before we came on air was Justin had very few accidents during his career. He was always a very safe pair of hands. Yeah. But one of the um, things we always remember is the, the Brambia moment he had at Interlagos when he'd won his first F3000 race. Um, for some reason, in 01, 3000 decided to start the season in Brazil, which the teams were upset about because it added to their, their budgets. But it was great for me because I got to go to Interlagos. Um, and Justin won the race. And in his excitement, pumping the air with, with both fists, he spun at the first corner, um, which um, uh, made him very sheepish in the, in the press conferences afterwards. But um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great moment. Yeah, and I, I, I mentioned the last time I actually had a face-to-face -face interview with him, I think it was at Daytona last year. And I did, I, did, I did bring the subject of Interlagos 2001 up and he just laughed. He said, to this day, you know, sort of 14 years on, people were still, as I did, people were still bringing it up. He's, the thing about him was he was acutely shy and as a, as a young racing driver coming up, he was quite hard to, to talk to at first because he didn't, you know, when, you, when you didn't know him, um, I think he found it quite hard um, to put himself across. And um, to see him growing up and developing on that side of things, and certainly by the time he got to 3000, he was much more confident in himself. Um, I think just doing things like the, the, the post-race press conferences when there was like six of us sitting in the room because no one, no one was paying any attention because it was F3000. But just those things w were helping him come out of himself and, and everyone got to see the, the real bloke and he was, um, he was a joy to deal with and um, also massively talented. He was a really naturally gifted driver with great intelligence, great racecraft. Um, and as Simon said earlier, the, um, the record doesn't always um, uh, reflect the, the actual ability of the guy. So. Just on that last, just one final point on Justin, the, um, the racecraft thing. When he drove for Minardi, the first half of 2003, I mean, it was only ever going to qualify at the back of the field because it was a Minardi. Um, but quite often at the end of the first lap, you'd see Jay Wilson in position 11, 12, 13, 14, something, because he had this fantastic knack on the opening lap of finding gaps, exploiting them safely. And then once he'd got them there, because overtaking was so flipping difficult in that era, he'd, you know, the, you'd have this Minardi holding up half the field. But, I mean, just beautifully driven, accurate, Solid, and then the tire stops had come around, and everyone, everyone would jump in and be, go back to where he should have been. But race without number, he'd put himself in that position. It was very, very impressive. Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Damien. Sad day. Anyway, on with our Motorsport Magazine podcast. I'm sure of all people, Justin would want us to get on with our Motorsport Magazine podcast. Um, well, around the table with us today, we have, as you already know, our editor, Damien Smith. We have our feature writer, Simon Aaron, and we have a special guest, Gary Watkins. And it says here that Gary Watkins is the doyen of sports car racing. Well, <laughs> well, who am I to argue with that? I must say, I mean, if, 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 um, if you go to a sports car race and Gary Watkins is not there, you've probably turned up at the wrong track. <laughs> Anyway, welcome, welcome to our Motorsport Magazine podcast, Gary. Thank you very much. And uh, the reason Gary's here today, of course, is because it's power to the people day. It's power to you, the listener, power to you, the reader, because it's our Motorsport Magazine Hall of Fame podcast number two. And today we're going to tackle sports car racing. And to explain how it all works, here's Damien. Okay, so Hall of Fame, as I've 
talked about in previous podcasts. We we launched it in 2010. We held five of them in London. Uh, they were very well-received, popular events uh, where we inducted the great and the good of motor racing history uh, and some present drivers as well. Um, uh, the big personalities who've had a, a, the biggest impact on the sport over the years. The biggest problem with the Hall of Fame was that it didn't really engage with you, our listeners and our readers of the magazine and the website. Um, so we've re we're relaunching it now with um, a slightly revised concept in that you help us decide who goes in each year. Um, we split the Hall of Fame into categories. So we started last time with Formula One. Um, we were supposed to come up with a dozen names for you to vote for, and because I can't count, we ended up with 15. So um, that's been live on the website for some time now. The votes are, are coming in, and we're seeing some patterns emerge. I'm not going to give too much away yet, because we want this, this process to continue through the rest of this year and into next year. Uh, the Hall of Fame itself will be held in the uh, spring-summer of 2016. Date still to be confirmed, venue still to be confirmed. We're working on that. Um, and there will, this, for the first time, tickets will be available to buy as well, so you can actually join us there on the on the day, um, and hopefully meet some of these great names who we can, uh, um, uh, the ones that are still alive, obviously, who we can get along to to, to join us because um, this is, as I say, the, the great and the good past and present of motor racing. Um, the Formula One list is going well. Today we launched the sports car list, and what we're here to do today is to discuss who should go on that um, that dozen. Uh, list of a dozen uh, great names. Um, they they don't have to be drivers. I should have said this earlier. Actually, they, they, you, know, you could have the likes of a, a John Wire type character if you wanted to. Um, it, it does tend to be dominated by drivers. Um, other key things is it doesn't have to be the most successful drivers. Um, I mean, in terms of who's in the Hall of Fame so far who represents sports car racing, the, the two key guys are Jackie Ix and Tom Christensen, who, of course, between them are the, are the two greatest Le Mans winners in terms of numbers of Le Mans wins, but um, certainly on my list of people, there are people here who don't even have a Le Mans win on their, on their CV, um, and uh, it's about the kind of people who uh, made a, a big impression on motor racing, who in some way um, influenced the sport, had a, a, a fondly remembered for certain things. It doesn't necessarily come down to just pure results. It could be the way they went about motor racing, the way they carried themselves as a, as a, as a, as a personality in the sport. Um, okay. And the, all these things will come together to our, our list of a dozen. Good. All right. So this is it then. Hall of Fame part two, sports car racing. And who better to start with than Gary Watkins? Now, Gary, let's have some names from you as to who should go into our hall. Well, well uh, when uh, I was talking to Damien uh, earlier, um, earlier in the month about this i came up with a list of names which i'm i'm afraid is probably nearer 120 than uh, well, we weren't than, than we're, 12 if you could but, just uh, leave out 110 <laughs> of them that would be great <laughs> so that, that, that more or less tallies with damien's uh, damien's concept of 12 actually so you should be okay <laughs> but it, it just sort of shows to me that how many greats not just successful drivers but uh drivers who perhaps catch the attention and have caught my attention over the years there are in sports car racing it's a, it's a rich tapestry isn't it, it is. uh, perhaps perhaps more so than uh, other categories you know and I, I I've obviously I've got the obvious candidates Derek Bell Alan, Alan McNish Norbert Singer uh, I'd go for um, Henri Pescarolo who who almost could uh, justify uh, being listed twice once for a yeah, his exploits as a driver, once for his exploits as a, as a team owner. I'd go for someone like Klaus Ludwig, I think one of the great overlooked uh, sports car drivers of all time. Uh, I'd put Stucky in there, Hans Stuck. 
Uh, and then I'd go for someone like Andy Wallace, sort of a real mm. trooper of a driver yeah. who won in so many different championships over uh, quite a prolonged period. So I think there's a lot of names you could throw in there. Right, okay. Well, it's a good start. And uh, over my right shoulder is the looming figure of our, our website ed- editor, Ed Foster. And it's Ed's job today to start writing some names on the board. So we've heard about 10 of Gary's. He's brought 120. We might hear a few more later. We'll, we'll go but through that, in, in, in more detail, I think, on some of those, those drivers that he's listed there. Okay, well, um, let, let's start with Klaus Ludwig. Yes. Good luck. Well, because Klaus Ludwig, uh, I think that he gets overlooked as a sports car driver because he didn't actually do Le Mans that many times. He's, he's not only a multiple winner of Le Mans, but he, he, he was, he's won big races in... Um, in the US, he's won a lot of IMSA races, he's won a lot of DRM races, the old German Group 5 yeah, championship yeah. that sort of gets forgotten about in the history of sports car racing. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, you know, he had his ni- the 1979 Le Mans victory, I think was very much his, his victory with Kramer. You know, he was central to that, uh, to that triumph. So I just, for, for reasons I don't know, he, he gets he gets overlooked. Yeah, well, he's he never he, he he's not the sort of person you'd ever imagine having a PR manager for a start. Well, he he did he did his own PR because yeah. he talked very well, but I guess it was a different era. Yeah, yeah. And uh, talking of eras, don't forget that aged, sorry, aged probably well over forty five. I think he was forty eight when he won the FIA GT Championship yeah, 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 with yeah. Ricardo Zonta yeah. in nineteen ninety eight. You think of those CLK type cars, the CL, CLK GTR, and then the LM of, of ninety eight. And I've, Bern Schneider is the driver who uh, comes comes to mind, and yeah. perhaps uh, Mark Webber for obviously yeah. his, his exploits in yeah. the CLR in ninety nine at Le Mans. But um, but you know. Klaus won that title with Ricardo Zonta in '98 ahead of uh, ahead of Schneider. I think Klaus gets on the board, does he? Uh, he's on my list he's as well, actually. Oh, so right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he's not overlooked then. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> well, well, he's not anymore. I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I, I overlooked him on this particular morning, but I did see him win a DRM race at Dorrington Park in 1980. So he gets my vote. Yeah. Okay. okay. Throw yeah. him in. Right. So so um, let's have some n- names now from you, Damien. Well, um, as I expected there's a bit of crossover with with Gary's list but I've got a few older names on my list um, from uh, earlier generations Um, for me um, Jean de Bien Olivier Jean de Bien has to be um, on this list um, because for a period of time through the mid to late 50s into the early 60s he was he was the Tom Christensen of of his era by by some margin he was so so dominant in terms of uh, what he achieved at Ferrari Um, and it was it wasn't just Le Mans it was it was the Targa Florio, the Nurburgring, yeah. all the big sports car races. He, he Sebring, won. of course. Sebring well. as well. The, the, Tour, the Tour de France. Um, I mean, he as well. Which was a big event yeah, back absolutely. in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've got the, the little uh, crib list I wrote earlier. Four Le Mans wins, three Targas, three Sebrings, two Reims 12 Hours, which obviously was a big race back back then as well, and a Nurburgring 1000 Ks. Um, that's a pretty um, impressive list. Absolutely. I mean, Formula One-wise, he never quite achieved... Um, probably he, what he should have done. He, he bagged a couple of podiums in Formula One, and he also won a few rallies as well. So just—I mean, I know this is a yeah. sports car thing, but as an all-rounder, yeah. Um, He—I mean, I—he's I, he's top name on my list. He's um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a, I, I took a quote from um, Enzo Ferrari's 
autobiography, the wonderfully named My Terrible Joys, which I think has to be the best name of any motor racing book out there. Um, <laughs> Simon, you're going to hate me for my pronunciation here, but I'm going to give it a go. Um, a gentleman who never forgets that noblesse oblige, and when he is at the wheel, he translates his code of behaviour into an elegant and discerning um, forcefulness, which I think is a lovely way of putting Great. it. So he gets the vote from Damien Smith, Simon Aaron and Enzo Ferrari. Yes. And me. And you, yeah. Well, well, he's, he's on my list. He is in Gary. my 120 okay. names already, don't worry. <laughs> I think we can safely say Olivier Jean de Bien is in. Okay. I, th I think so, yes. Um, um, and, and actually, a teammate of, of Jean de Bien's who is often overlooked in general in motorsport is, is Phil Hill. Phil Hill. Um, who was, um, in a way, was like the McNish or Piro to... You know, to Christensen in, in, in Jean de Bien's case, I think. Um, and, um, I think his reputation in sports cars is much higher than it was in Formula One, even though he was a Formula One world champion. Um, and a, a fantastic driver through different eras as well, because, of course, his final big win was in the Chaparral at Brands in 67. Very different to the, the Testarossas in which he made his name, um, you know, eight, eight or nine years earlier. Um, so he's someone that I think we should consider. Whether he actually makes our final 12 is... Sure. is, is Open to question. Open to question and it's also, of course, down to the power of the people. Absolutely, yes, yes. But in terms of our, our dozen today, um, I think he'll be one of, the, one of the ones on the cusp. We're trying to work out whether he makes that dozen. But um, if he doesn't make the sports car list, of course, we have the US racing um, category to come uh, later in the year. And um, for me, he'll definitely be one of the, one of the dozen for the, for the US racing category. Okay. So... Simon, let's That's have probably my, Well, these two have nicked all my, they've, they've nicked all my ideas. But, they, I mean, I'm, I'm with Damien on Phil Hill as well, I think. Yeah. Very, very underrated for reasons science is powerless to explain. Probably just because sports car racing globally doesn't have the same kind of you know, ca catchment audience as, as Formula One does. But, yeah, a great suggestion. Um, Gary mentioned Derek Bell fleetingly. I think with his five wins, he's an obvious candidate. But... If we're going to have Derek Bell, you have to consider, I think, Emanuele Pirro and Frank Bieler, both of whom won it five times. Definitely. And, and there's, a, there's an interesting comment. I mean, which is, which is more? I mean, Derek Bell won it at a time when there were only two drivers. So you got, and, and it's also at a time when you're racing probably at 80-85% and also having to conserve the car, look after the gearbox and stuff. Whereas Pirro and Bieler have done it at a time when you've got three drivers. So maybe there's a little bit less physical strain. But you're racing at 100% from 4 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Because, because there's so many electronic guardian angels and the cars are virtually bomb-proof. Sure. So they've, they've all won it five times in very kind of different circumstances between the, the Beeler, Piro, Pair and Derek Bell. But I, I think all three of those should Absolutely. be on the list. I don't think you could argue against them all having a, a good shot at making our, uh, our shortlist. I mean, Derek, I think, you know, we, we, everyone knows of him as the five-time Le Mans winner, but we shouldn't forget, you know, just how many races he won in the US, you know, with, oh, with, Holt, with Al Holbert Jr., who we should come to later, I think. Uh, you know, and, and, and what Derek did over such a prolonged period, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't covering motor racing when he was in his pomp in the 80s, but sort of probably 15 years after I saw him race for the first time, I was watching him and I was convinced he was going to win Le Mans in 1995 in the yes, Harrods yes, McLaren. He nearly did. Unfortunately, yeah. a clutch problem uh, got in the way. But he, he was, you know, well into his 50s at that point and he drove out of his skin. It was amazing. You know, in those conditions, he just came into his own. He, he once told me about a stint during the night. He said the only car that overtook him was... Uh, 
the actual the the winning McLaren with JJ Leto aboard, and he says that it did overtake him, but then he passed it a couple of laps later when Leto spun, so he didn't feel too badly <laughs> about it. And I just think, you know, Andy Wallace perhaps was the real star of the Harrods uh, yeah. lineup at Dave Price Racing that year, uh, but but Derek was was absolutely amazing and rock solid as he always was throughout his career. The other thing about Derek as well, I think, is is as beyond pure performance is the way he carried himself in in, uh, in the sport and you know f- as, a, as, a, as a child of the 80s growing up as, as a, a motor racing fan in the 80s you know he was royalty as far as I was concerned you know and we'd go to Brands Hatch every year for the thousand K's and everyone would be, would be willing Derek to win because he was just this fantastic character he had he had the look of a racing driver he'd been around since the 60s so he was this sort of connection to this this previous era yeah. but driving these you know these high downforce ground effects modern sports cars and and holding his own against you know younger 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 guys and he, he did that for, for as gary says for donkey's years you know i tell you what if derrick isn't in the 12 at the end of the day i shall walk out in protest i know you will I know. <laughs> he, he was he was an unassuming guy to, uh I, that's how I found him, very self-deprecating. I, if I could tell the f- a story about the first time I ever met him, which was at the 1982 German Grand Prix. I was a kid. Well, to say I met him, I was a small kid who asked for his autograph. Uh, so it wasn't really a meeting. But I was wandering around uh, somewhere behind the paddock. I doubt if I could get into the paddock. Derek Bell uh, walked past. I had my autograph book with me. I knew who Derek Bell was. I've, of course, I was going to ask him for his autograph. He he seemed shocked that someone was asking for his autograph because you know he was a sports car driver. This was a Formula One race. He was there presumably on on some kind of Porsche duty. And and I just remember he goes, "Oh, you want my autograph?" <laughs> I, I don't know if I said, "Well, you are Derek Bell, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be Derek. He's a good bloke, I tell you. And uh, just as a quick aside, if you want some really good Derek Bell stories and you want to listen to Derek himself, then tune in to our sound archive over the next few months. And I'll tell you a bit more about that later. But anyway, on with the show. I'm going to choose um, John Wire and Wolfgang Ulrich as my choices. Um, and the reasons are as follows. Uh, John Wire. Ask, ask any driver who drove for John Wire, and he will tell you that it, the man was a genius in running an endurance racing team. Um, his decision-making, his command of the troops, I think it's a phrase that John, John would have quite liked, actually. Um, a great character. So I think John Wire for me, and Wolfgang Ulrich, because um, right from the beginning, it's, it's hard to think now, but when Audi did what they did to start with. They brought diesel into endurance motor racing. It was a fantastic um, uh, beginning of a a fantastic new era. I mean, Gary is much better informed on this than me. I can can see he's gagging to speak. But anyway, I I, I think the guys run a fantastic ship there uh, and continues to do so. He's highly respected. It's obvious that he has the respect of the team, which, of course, is crucial. And really, I mean, he's he's made Audi into 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 what it is today in 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 motorsport. So they're my choices for the time being. Uh, good choices, Robert. I mean, Ulrich, uh, Gary. I mean, obviously, in the era, the Audi era, sometimes the the, the Audi reputation is um, uh, slightly lessened by people saying who 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 they beat. But the fact is, they've still achieved what they've achieved. They, they you can only beat what's in front of you. Well, that's a good point. And so you know, but don't forget. 
we had Peugeot against them from 2011 uh, through, and, sorry, from 2007 through to 11. Uh, you know, a worthy opponent. We, I think we, we, we sort of, we should look back and say, how did Audi manage to beat them so many times in that, yes. in, 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 the, in that time? You know, you look at 08, very, very close. Uh, you look again at 11, uh, very, very close. So, uh, so yeah, we, we a, f a, f a throw of the dice, a toss of the coin, and we could be, we could have been looking at uh, three Peugeot victories and yes. and two fewer for Audi. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think there was a there, there has been a lot of good opposition for uh, yeah over time, and they did it better. Yes, you know? yeah. Well, quite. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 and I know that the, the, the series is currently very, very strong, but I mean, the Peugeot Audi years, standing late at night on the Thursday or the Wednesday, when the qualifying was reaching its kind of zenith, and Sarazan's going out in the Peugeot, and Audi are on pole, but, and the atmosphere in the crowd at that time, it was just, it was, and those, I mean, the most hair, hair on the back of your neck kind of raising moments I can remember at the morning, it was fantastic. I'm sure a French manufacturer just adds a little oh, uh, freeze yeah. on That's what it meant, but I was standing out there with the French crowd, and it, it just fabulous. Yeah. yeah. I think okay. as you, as you just, said, Rob... Sorry, just talking about... Uh, no one to beat. One one name that I just touched on, who's up on the board already, Henri Pescarolo, who, uh, you know, obviously a great driver, but then as a team owner, you know, he yep. almost won Le Mans as a yep. team owner. Don't forget, you know, that that year in um, in '05 when they were second, uh, but for a gearbox problem, they would have beaten Audi. Okay, that was a strange year of uh, transition yeah, in the rules, but a win's a win, and you know, and to do what he you know to do what he achieved yeah. as a small privateer was absolutely amazing and let's let's not forget that a, the last privateer to win Le Mans uh, was Joost in 1997 uh, which is a long time ago and he almost did it you know he almost did it again well it wasn't so close in uh, in in the other year he finished second but uh, I think I think Pescarolo, the driver, amazing. Pescarolo, the team owner, amazing. The, the worry, the, the wish for me is that he'd stopped driving earlier and focused on being a team owner or become a team owner earlier. And I think the history of sports car racing in the late 90s, yeah, yeah. early noughties might have been a bit different, actually. It's also, it's also a very rare achievement in motor racing in any category to go from being a good driver to being a good team owner. I mean, Alain Prost tried it. People have tried it. So I think, for yeah, that's another good reason. Um, I'm so pleased Gary's brought all his notebooks. <laughs> he hasn't got nearly as many notebooks as he has at a race. But anyway, <laughs> it's all very reassuring. Um, uh, Damien, let's... Uh, can, uh, on the video, people are watching us on the Motorsport Magazine podcast. Can we see the board? Yeah. No, oh, we can. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't realise we were being videoed. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't go now, Gary. You might want to shave, Gary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Da Damien, let's. let's um, well, first of all, I'd like to say, Rob, well done for voting for Death Ray Wire as well, because um, in terms of team owners, um, no one's more charismatic. Absolutely. You know, to, to do what he did with first Aston Martin in, in that late yeah, 50s era, and then to do it with the GT40s, yeah. and then the 917s, yeah. and then the Mirages as well. Uh, it's a, a great era that he covers. Yeah. Um, and to, uh, it, like Ulrich, actually, if you, you, know, you say talk to the drivers about what they think about yeah. their, their bosses, um, Wire had that command, that respect. Absolutely. Ulrich has the same with any Audi driver who, who talks about Ulrich. Um, it's, it's the you know, really 
leading leading from the front is uh, mm. a, a great a great uh, asset. John Moyer was a tiny bit intimidating when one first met him. Actually, did, did you meet him? <laughs> yes, I'd love to have met he him. He was what, a tiny bit intimidating, yeah. but, but um, I think had I been older, it would have been all right. <laughs> well, while we're on team bosses, can I can I throw Reinhold Yerst into the pot? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, as a bring it on, Gary. <laughs> I mean, phenomenal achievement, uh, you know, to to yeah. have notched up so many um, so many Le Mans successes. Let's let's not. Obviously, now he's so entrenched with Audi. We we obviously think Joost Audi, yeah. but uh, let's not forget his four victories with Porsche in in the uh, two in the eighties, yeah. two two in the nineties, and let's not forget that three of those were achieved as a privateer entrant. Okay, one of the years uh, in the 80s, the fact the Porsche factory wasn't there, but there were other factories to beat. Uh, I think, you know, what he achieved, 97 is, is um, yeah, one of the most, uh, one, of the, one of the great stories of uh, sports car racing in the modern era, you know, bringing in Christensen at the last moment, yeah. which, which was crucial uh, to yeah. that success. Yeah. I, I, uh, there are lots of stories about what was going on in the team and that they, they needed money and they were basically throwing it back and forth between uh, Reinhold and his uh, team manager, uh, Ralph Jutner, saying, oh, yeah, we need some money. Yeah, but we need someone quick. And then eventually they decided to go for someone quick, got Tom Christensen, won Le Mans, and... Uh, the rest is history. Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Interesting about Joost is, do, do you, um, given the amount of success he did with Audi, he's now, you know, he's the backbone his, he and his team are the backbone of Audi's success. Do you think of him as Porsche or Audi? Well, I'm going to throw another name into the hat, Bentley, because, of course... Oh, yeah, of course, that's true. <laughs> his crew... Well, well swerved, well ran, swerved. Ran the, uh, ran, ran the winning Bentley yeah. in uh, 2003. Yeah. So I've actually uh, thrown that into the hat to dodge your question. Yeah. yeah. Because I... But Mike Wire, <laughs> he won the one with three, three manufacturers. So yes, a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yurst actually doesn't... He sort of doesn't count uh, Bentley, or at least not publicly, because of course his his name wasn't in the team name. But he was very much much there. He was sort of slightly in the shadows, not sort of as evident as he might be now or back in the in the Porsche days. But you know, it was his team, it was his people. They won Le Mans, and he was also a very capable driver in, well, in, in Porsche 908s and stuff, and and a factory driver, yeah. you know. Yeah, and also hairstyle of the year, an absolute clear winner, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Um, Gary's totally dropping natural. his notes, which I is am, also yes, very uh, reassuring uh, uh, as well, actually. <laughs> he, does, he does that a lot. We've, we've all seen very, it a lot. It's very important not to sit next to Gary in the press room at a race, because you, your space becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> anyway, I do like to spread out a bit. Let's get some more names out of the hat. So what I'd like to do is quickly go around the table and just get three... Well, if we take me, include me, four more, four more names, then we can talk about them. Ooh. Yep. Okay. Um, Gary. Oh. Gary first, go on. A name, Gary. One, one name, Gary, one. Okay. Well, I've got, I've got to say Norbert Singer as okay. a man who had such a profound effect on sports car racing over... Porsche. With Por as, you know, as a lead engineer at yeah. Porsche, yeah. often sort of talked about as a designer, perhaps not necessarily the case. He's more a sort of a, a Ross Braun character overseeing the projects and very much leading the aero of, of all those cars uh, himself. But, you know, of, of the um, first 
Porsche. Now we're on, of course, Porsche are on 17 Le Mans wins. Yes. But, yes. And he, he can't <clears throat> claim any credit for this one. But of the first 16, uh, he had a major, ha- he had a yep. hand in all of them. Damien? Well, no, actually, probably not really in the first one because he, he, he wasn't at Le Mans. Uh, Okay, but he but was anyway, involved in the the nine one seven though. He 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 joined that year. So and I know he did. I think he once told me he did something on the rear suspension geometry yeah, that's or something. Let's give it so, to him. Let's give it so to him. So it's it's tenuous. But you know to to have a hand in you know the nine thirty five, the nine thirty six. Not so much initially, but later on he was very much involved in it. Nine five six, nine six two. Right. Don't forget that we've got to distill. D- them down to the top 12 so it's going to get harder Damien and I'm going to make it more difficult because I'm going to change the rules again and add, add two more uh, so <laughs> which <laughs> um, is the editor's prerogative exactly exactly um, Vic Elford and Brian Redman yeah. who I always end up in my head pairing together just because I think they were at their zenith at the same sort of time and obviously both uh, associated with Porsche but drove for other, other people as well um, uh, now you, you know that I'm a bit of a Stones fan and I always think, yeah. you know, I, I love the early Stone stuff, all the early R&B yeah. stuff, and I love all the 60s stuff that sort of melds into psychedelia. But let's face it, the heart of the Stones is 68 to 72, between Beggar's Banquet and Exile Main Street. And that's the same time that these two were at their absolute zenith. And I don't think there's a coincidence there. I think that time, that era, is just the, the great era for, Let, for motor racing and for, and for music. And Vic Elford and Brian Redman, for me, yeah. represent that time perfectly. Vic looked like he was made of granite. You know, he yeah. was a British a racing, great, driver, great racing driver. You know, just hard right. as nails. Surely, yeah. Vic is uh, Keith Richards, isn't he? Yeah, he'd have to be <laughs> Keith. I'm not sure that makes Brian Mick Jagger. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure that works anyway. But Brian, you know, lovely Lancashire bloke. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. down to earth as they come. Uh, and Funny course, as hell as well. Absolutely. And both these guys, of course, weren't just sports car drivers. They were no, fantastic no, no. all-rounders. Yeah. I mean, Brian Redmond should have had a, a proper Grand Prix career that he never quite had. Yeah. Uh, he okay. survived three. Horrific accidents um, over over um, a decade. Um, came back from all of them against the odds. You know, he speaks so eloquently about the era he was racing in. You know, he won four Spa Thousand Ks when it was the proper Spa, the yeah. old Spa. Um, and you know, these days admits that he used to cry himself to sleep before before a race, thinking he wasn't he was he wouldn't wouldn't see his family again. You know, um, uh, things that he could never admit at the time, of course. Um, Elford, you know. Um, you know, that, that 68 season, he won the Monty, and nine days later, the Daytona 24 hours, um, first time he'd been to Daytona, won it straight off in the 907. Um, just unique achievements. Um, and the key thing for two, these two guys is neither won Le Mans. Neither have a Le Mans win to their name. No. And it doesn't matter. No, Because no, the, the, race, the other races they won, um, uh, Vic's career, relatively short, six seasons in total, um, um, what you know, what the impression he made in that time was immense, and Redman, you know, still racing the Aston Martin Group C car in the late '80s, um, and and you know, uh, commanding huge yeah. respect. We all love him. We all love both of them when they when they come to the Goodwoods. Um, and uh, as I say, they represent an era for me. That, okay, um, good, Simon, and one more name. Um, very very briefly, uh, Nordschleifer, six minutes eleven point whatever it was, second Stefan Beloff. Yep, good choice. Um, there's another name that Gary's just pointed out to me that we, we did mention, Gary mentioned at the start, and we, we can't not mention him. It's and it's got to be Alan McNish, you know, as a yeah. driver who was, sure. along with Christensen, the yeah. top driver yeah. uh, no of his generation. Absolutely. I mean, so that had... Yeah. And, you know, greatness, I think 
drivers to uh, yeah they need that moment of uh, doing something special like Beloff's record lap yeah. for me McNish you know his role in the 2008 yeah. Le Mans victory with yeah. Audi with yeah. with TK and Dindo Capello yeah. you know was something special yeah. you know just amazing yeah. and, and I think that's that's perhaps the defining moment of his career I he, think might, he might not say that but just yeah I think he was really? out of his the, I think it's also a great mark of class that he wins the world championship and then walks away. And yes. what a what a fantastic stylish way to bow out. Mm. He's, he's he's an all round good bloke as well. So uh, if that makes and sense. And he's one of the most competitive people I've ever met. I think <laughs> yes, you know, he's he just, is. maybe it's a small small bloke syndrome. I don't know, but he's he's so driven, <laughs> yeah. so driven. Even now as a retired racing yeah, driver, he yeah. hasn't changed. And right. um, and all those wins in America as well, I think is is a key thing. You know, he was he was fantastic on those yeah. those old school yeah. difficult American race circuits. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put one more in, and that's Nino Vaccarella. Oh, good choice, yeah. Yep, um, cool. Because uh, I used to look at photographs... No, this isn't the reason for him going into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know, he's just a big memory of mine from my early years w watching racing and loving racing and that gorgeous Ferrari and the Targa Florio and... Oh. And he was um, highly successful, uh, incredibly uh, consistent... Um, and he has a wonderful name. Yes. And the interesting thing is um, he's known uh, primarily for the Targa Florio, given that he's Sicilian yeah. and he won three times yeah. there. But he was actually, uh, he was a Le Mans winner. Uh, yeah. He won at Sebring. He was yeah. actually really good at Nürburgring as well. He was a, he was a proper yeah, sports car driver elsewhere. It wasn't just all about But he was Targa. a real sports car driver. I mean, you know, he was uh, someone you'd call on if you wanted. Okay, I think we... Hans Stuckey's on the board, but we haven't actually talked about him. Should okay. we, should we talk you're about going him? to talk about him now, Gary. Go on, go on. Give, give us a minute, uh, minute on Hans Stuck. A world champion, um, um, a Le Mans winner, but also a guy who did it, did it in style, both on yeah. and off the track. You know, his, his driving style, his, his yodeling on the podium. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he, he ticks all the boxes as a sort of an archetypal racing driver of old, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think the, names, the names we have on the board behind me here, which Ed um, is very kindly set out in a sort of grid fashion, I'm quite impressed. They're all yeah. over the shop. I mean, I think if you, you know, if, if uh, uh, you guys, you, all you guys listening and all, all, all you guys who kindly join us on the podcast, I think if you would down the pub on Friday night, you'd probably come up with a lot of these names. There's, sorry to be a pain. There's, there's two more that two we more? haven't got on there. That there's I think at least should, two more. Should, at least two more. <laughs> Editor's prerogative. <laughs> Can, um, yeah. Joseph and Pedro Rodriguez yep. aren't on the list at the moment. No, Rodriguez, of course, had the uh, defining there. moment in the BOAC 1000. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful and, race. Loved it. And then there's the, the, the image that we all remember going into Eau Rouge side by side. Yes on the, the first lap at Spa. With the rest of the pack hanging back because yes. they're, they're yeah. convinced something bad's <laughs> yes. going to happen. Yes. Well, and, yeah. the, and also, the, also the board that was hung out to him at Brands that, that extremely wet weekend which said, Pedro, it's raining. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, well, well, are we going to uh, uh, call a halt at some point or are we going to add... Because, I mean, we could add... Uh, well, I've, I've still got 95 names yeah. to go. That's <laughs> yeah, I know. This is what's worrying me, Gary. Right? Well, just, just to throw in Bob Wallach, actually. As a I guy. was going to throw him in. You can't throw his well, you, you throw him in, Simon. Go on. Yeah, can I throw in Bob, Bob Wallach? <laughs> Bob Wallach, absolutely. Gary will explain why. <laughs> no, well, again, uh, you explain why. It's you know, fine, it's fine. He didn't win Le Mans. 
obviously that's his his most famous for not winning Le Mans. Uh, he was just uh, he was a great a great sports car driver yeah. over a prolonged period. Yeah. He had some of his best results while he was in his 50s. He had more podiums in his 50s than before. I have worked it out somewhere, but uh, it's in one of the bits of paper I can't see. Uh, we believe you, Gary. <laughs> he did Le Mans 30 times. Uh, you know, and he was just, he was a character. You know, sure. let's, let's not forget swearing on... Uh, network tv in america when aj foyt got in the car that he would win uh, the daytona 24 hours with he just sort of yeah he just sort of he was good copy for me as a journalist he was good copy and i okay, think that's that why i put him in that's not a reason for the hall of fame but the others the, the others are <laughs> the others are okay uh, what about what, what about uh, scarfiotti do we think or not maybe not enough enough outright success well i, I think um I, i'd put certes Ahead of Scarfield, I mean, Surtees is already a member of the Hall of well, Fame. But in terms of um, at Ferrari in the in the sixties, Surtees was the team leader, yeah, and he was yeah. quicker than Scarfield. Oh yeah, absolutely. By, by some yes, margin. Was, so, for me, I would say, given the names we've already got on the board, yeah. we've now got twenty-one names. When yeah. we've got to get down to a, to a dozen, okay. um, for me, Scarfiotti wouldn't be on this list. Okay. So, Wolf, Wolf Bonato maybe is the first Le Mans hat trick winner. Well, uh, that's again, a good shout. you know, yeah. and a hundred percent record. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the man who saved Bentley. Yeah. So he, he's got a lot of uh, credits in his yeah. favour, hasn't he? And the man, and the man who started effectively started the pilgrimage from the British Isles to Le Mans. Well, that's yeah. a, that's a very good point. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, going going there these days, the number of Brits there is just quite staggering. Yeah. And really, it was the Bentley boys who really got that adventure. They started it, yeah. Yeah, and they were on the front page of the Daily Mail, even mm. back, you know, it was amazing yeah. but think, but what, what they did. Good good shout, good call. I, I, yeah. I didn't read the Daily Mail in the 1920s. I don't, no, I, no, quite. I, I, um, I mean, we could put the other Bentley boys in there, I guess. I mean, Wolf Bonato was but one of the Bentley boys. I know, but I just think, it's, I mean, as Gary said, 100% record, okay. and, and he was the first guy to win sure. Le Mans three times, yes. plus all the other bits and pieces. I mean, the other... One that a bit left field, but I quite like it because it's quirky. Is uh, Jean Rondo? Yes, he yeah. was on my list as well. On my short list, not oh, my no. hundred twenty. Only, 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 only man to win yeah. the Monterey for hours in a car bearing his own name. Yeah, yeah. and a Frenchman yeah. too. Wonderful. Yeah. Not, just not, not a Frenchman, a man, a son of Le Mans. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was a guy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Who was driven to win that race? Yeah. And I, I mean, his, factory, his factory was just across the road yeah, from the track, and yes. it was literally hundred meters away. I spoke to Pescarolo about mm. about him and. Pescarolo always laments that uh, Rondo managed to persuade him to race one of his cars when they weren't that competitive. And I think uh, Pescarolo felt he should have been something in a bit quicker. But uh, he says that Rondo was not a good driver when he started, but he, he, his drive and his ambition yeah, yeah. and his obsession with winning Le Mans yeah. uh, turned him into a good driver. And he became a guy who could hold his own with the talented sort of stars of the day that he employed. Another and I good think that's, story, yeah, no, it is. I think that's really uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. J James Weaver, yes, no? Well, he's, he's someone who, who's in the of sort of... in America. Uh, you know, like Andy Wallace, they were sort of real troopers of yeah. sports cars. I, I think it would have to be kind of a, a joint nomination, almost, because they did so much together over the, yeah. over the they years. They did. What we shouldn't forget, though, is that, that James did had much more much more of his success in the US, yes. whereas Andy was a guy who would, uh, you know, who could turn his hand to anything. And I, I've actually written some stats down here. 
seven IMSA wins, six Grand Am wins, one ALMS win, two WEC win, uh, two BPR wins, one USRRC win, one IMSA GT when it was a standalone race, uh, one win there, and one win in FIA sports cars. So he just he just won in a hell of a lot of different and, he, and he's competing at the moment in the uh, Jaguar Heritage Challenge, <laughs> yeah. HSCC meetings. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's still at no, it. I think well-deserved. Um, Damien, our editor. Damien, hello. Uh, I think it's almost time for us to try and distill this down. I think we need to go away for, for five minutes and just, yeah, try and get this down to a some sort of manageable list because um, we're now up to 23. There's more we could add. We maybe should get to 24 just for, you know, well, just, yeah, quite, quite be, fitting, yeah. really. And then, and then halve it somehow and, uh, and try and come back with our, with our list. If I could dozen. add a 24th name, Go and on. I know uh, he will probably come up in your US racing podcast, but it would be Al Holwood Jr., yep. not only for his achievements on the track, but his achievements in the history of Porsche Motorsport in North America. Um, yeah, he was sort of, perhaps he was the Donahue of his day, sort of yeah, an engineer yeah. as well as a racer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he, he deserves, he Certainly. deserves a place. And Derek Bell would agree with you for I'm sure. I'm sure he would, yeah. yeah. And, and what, okay. what he would have achieved if he hadn't died yes. young, you know. Um, exactly. Okay. Um, well, we're going to take a virtual break then, everybody, is what we're really going to do. We're going to take a virtual break because we're not actually going to take a real break. No. Because we'll be right back with you all in about a few seconds' time. Exactly. By which time, if you understand me, we will have distilled the names down a bit. But Maybe. anyway, as I said at the top of the show, this is for you. This is giving the power to the people, okay? The Motorsport Magazine fan base. It's a horrible word, isn't it? Anyway, whatever. Because, because when it comes down to it, um, you're going to have a big say in who gets into our Hall of Fame 2016. And we'll see you in a couple of minutes. You might remember that um, a few minutes ago I did mention Motorsport's new sound archive. And if you're not aware of uh, what we're doing with our new sound archive, you really, really must be. You really should be. Because it's going to be, as the weeks go by, absolutely fantastic. Even if I say so myself, because <laughs> a lot of the uh, taped interviews in the sound archive were done by me back in the uh, 1970s. 1970s, I said, not 1870s. Anyway, um, I do urge you to listen to these because it, it's an amazing kind of um, step back in time almost. And, and, and uh, I really hope that you'll dig into the uh, website and try and find them. Um, the first one is, is uh, online at the moment, and it's with Lord Hesketh, who, of course, ran Hesketh Racing, for whom James Hunt drove, among others. And uh, that was recorded in 1979, which was uh, actually right at the very, very end of the whole um, Hesketh racing team. But uh, I think it's interesting, and you can find that right now at motorsportmagazine.com. And also on, in that same uh, section is Nelson Piquet, who's talking about moving up from Formula 3 to Formula 1, which is what they did in those days. Okay. And the next one we're going to do will be Sterling Moss Parts 1 and Part 2. Um, this is what um, my producer at the time, Mike Lawrence, referred to as talking to God. So uh, Sterling Moss, that's, I think, is nearly two hours of Sterling Moss uh, altogether. 
and he talks about just everything. And if you've ever heard any interviews with Sterling, you'll know that it's uh, full of surprises and uh, fascinating too. So uh, try and get yourselves to shop.motorsportmagazine.com and click on the audio archive tab on the left-hand side of the page. That's shop.motorsportmagazine.com and click on the audio archive tab on the left-hand side of the page. Well, and I really hope you enjoy it and let us know what you think of it too. Let us know online. Welcome back then everybody to the Motorsport Magazine Hall of Fame sports car podcast. We've been having a bit of a think, we're having a bit of discussion, a bit of healthy argument, and now comes to the choice. And it falls to me to make the first choice, and mine is Derek Bell. My turn. I'm going to go for Henri Pescarolo. I'm going to choose Olivier Jean de Bien. As indeed was I, so I'll go for Pedro Rodriguez instead. My second choice is Wolf Bonato. My second choice is Alan McNish. My second choice is uh, Brian Redman. Sorry for the delay. Um, I'm going to go with Reinhold Yerst. Okay. My third choice is John Wire. The tension's almost unbearable, isn't it? (laughs) My third choice is Klaus Ludwig. My third choice is Vic Elford. And mine is Jean Rondeau. So this is the, the difficult bit is that who we've left out here. Just, just uh, I think we've got our dozen, but the, na- the names that are, uh, are not up for the 2016 Hall of Fame, but could be for 2017, of course, this yeah. is the thing to remember. We don't have to do it all in one year. But the ones who haven't made it include Hans Stuck, Phil Hill, Wolfgang Ulrich, Joe Siffert, Bob Wallach, Frank Bieler, yeah. Manuel Ipero, Beloff, Vaccarella, Wallace, Singer. There's a lot of great names. Absolutely. But as I say... Don't forget, it doesn't all have to happen in 2016. There's 2017 and hopefully many years beyond when all these names eventually we can work through. And obviously, as you're saying about your US uh, sports car, uh, US racing yes. podcast, do you think uh, Wallace and Weaver could make it in that one as guys who had a lot of their successes in, no. in the States? <laughs> no, I think, I think um, uh, although you're right, absolutely, that they, they had a huge influence on American sports car racing for a period. Um, the American... Uh, category should be for Americans. Oh, I think. Okay. I think or Canadians. Or Canadians, yes, indeed. Um, okay. Uh, let, me, let me just explain again that we now have the top 12 names chosen by us at Mudsport Magazine. And from here on in, it will be down to you to vote for any of those 12 names. And that way we distill it down to a winner. Indeed. I have understood it completely correctly. You've got it right, Rob. That's Fantastic. quite right. There's a, a voting system on the website live now, uh, along with this podcast. You can go straight to and cast your vote. Great. Absolutely wonderful. Well, I hope you enjoy doing it, everyone. And I hope you've enjoyed um, our Motorsport magazine. Should, having run through the people who haven't made it, shall I just run through quickly, verbally, who are on this, this uh, dozen list? Go ahead, Damien. So um, this is in no particular order, other than what, how they're on the board. We'll put them in alphabetical order. On, on the site, but Derek Bell, 
uh, Reinhold Joost, Henri Pescarolo, Vic Elford, Brian Redman, Olivier Jean de Bien, John Wire, Alan McNish, Pedro Rodriguez, Jean Rondeau, and Wolf Bonato. I think that's 11. You missed out Klaus Ludwig. And I missed out Klaus Ludwig. <laughs> So there we go. I missed out Klaus Ludwig, so I can't count. Just to persuade everyone that our maths is between us is <laughs> terrible. Trying to redress the balance from last time. Yes. This is why we're not engineers. Um, so that's the dozen. Uh, they're on the website. Please please do uh, vote and give us your opinion. Great. Okay, good. Well, the main thing, the main thing as, I, as I keep saying, is that the power is with you. Um, you out there, you, you who join us for these podcasts and who... who uh, are such loyal followers and fans of our magazine. And my uh, website editor is writing me a note, as you can see, but I can cope with that. Um, so that's it for, for today. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Um, thank you for your support. We really, really do appreciate it. Thank you to Gary Watkins, the doyen of sports car racing. It's a joy. Along with his notebooks, his notes, his pens. It's, it's fantastic. For once, I've got nothing written on my hand. Yes, so, yes. Uh, <laughs> unusually. And he always usually has a paperclip stuck in his mouth, which yes. I'm always worried he's going to swallow one yes. day and choke. Yes, which is yes. A and if, you're, if you go to a big sports car race, say hello to Gary. Uh, and, of course, thanks to our editor, Damien Smith, and to our wonderful feature writer, Simon Aaron. I hope you've read his, his uh, article about Monza in the very latest Motorsport magazine. It's a cracking article. And uh, thanks to Alan Hyde, of course, as ever, who records it for us, and to uh, our website editor over my shoulder, Ed Foster. It's goodbye from all of us, and we'll see you for our next Motorsport magazine podcast, which will be with the mega absolute god of motorcycling John McGuinness should be a real cracker and then after that we're going down to the Goodwood Revival where we'll be talking to Steve Soper and Andy Jordan fantastic what a lineup good see you next time bye